Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. God bless you for coming. I pray this morning that as you sit and listen, I pray the Lord speaks to your heart and speaks to your life. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. If you come before the Lord Jesus Christ and you ask him, Lord God, speak to me. Show me your face, he will. And it doesn't matter how hard your heart may be this morning, it doesn't matter how tired you may be or how dry you may be. If you come this morning uh, bowing your head before the Lord, the King of Kings, and you ask of him, Lord God, you've got to do something in my life. I need you to change me. You know how to fill me. You know how to speak to me. You can come before the Lord in faith and ask of him. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning because where can we go, Lord God, for life? Where can we go for answers? In your word, Lord God, there's truth. And if we but apply our life to, Lord God, every word that you speak, we will find freedom, we'll find salvation, we'll find peace, we'll find joy. Father, teach us, Lord God, this morning to put our trust in you. Teach us, Lord God, something, Lord God, that will draw us deeper and deeper into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in our life. Father, Lord God, teach us to be humble, Lord God, to receive all things from you, Lord God. Not to be defensive, not to assume that we know more, but rather just to humbly come trusting in your word and your will. Father, I pray that you cast the devil out of this room, that anyone who comes, Lord God, you may open their eyes, their ears, cast every distraction out of this place, Lord God. This is your time. We come this morning to worship you, to listen to you, Lord, that you may be on our lips and on our ears, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's have a look at uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. Mark chapter 2. Let's have a look at this passage here. I love looking at a day in the life of Jesus or just an event in the life of Christ. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straight away many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come near unto him because of the people, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, your sins be forgiven you. This is a beautiful event in the life of Jesus Christ. I don't think there's anything better than watching the life of Jesus. You know, I don't know if you've ever watched a movie and you watch it once and you think, well, what a fantastic movie and you, and you share it. And then you sit down and you watch a movie again. Anyone seen a movie the second time? Or if you really like the movie, you know, three times. And if you really like the movie eight times, the Titanic, that's probably the only movie I watched more than once, and the Titanic. Not because it's a love story, but I just love the visual effects. So I watched that a few times. But every time you watch the movie, there's always something new that you discover. Like there's some kind of a plot, some kind of a dialogue that you think, oh, I, I get it now. I understand what the director was doing, you know. 
And the Word of God is far more significant and far more deeper. But when we look again and again and again at the life of Jesus, we discover a lot more than at first glance. We discover the heart of Jesus, the mind of Christ. We discover His intentions. We discover so much about Jesus that in just one sitting or in just one lifetime, we think, oh, I've got it. The Word of God is living. It means that every time I approach it, it, at that given time, something is given to me. It's the bread of life. At that given time, there's a meal to be consumed. And so we see this account here that Jesus enters into a place called Capernaum. Capernaum is a, a, a fishing village at north of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, Capernaum was a place where Jesus did a lot of his miracles, a lot of miracles took place in Capernaum, which showed you that the people in Capernaum had some sort of faith. Because there's places like Nazareth, Jesus couldn't heal the sick. Jesus, the Son of God, could not perform miracles in his own country. That's an extraordinary thought. You think, well, really? You, you can limit the Son of God? You, you can stop Jesus doing what he needs to do? Well, he couldn't. He couldn't heal the sick or do any miracles in his own country because his own people could not believe. So in Capernaum, a lot of miracles took place which showed you that the people in Capernaum actually believed and so therefore there was a lot of miracles going on. In so much that when, it, when I heard about Jesus, it was noised that he was in the house, straight away many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them in that house. Not so much as the door. That means if you walked to that place, to the house, it was jam-packed. There was, you couldn't p- press through. And it's unfortunate because if you were someone who was timid, you got to, you, you'd miss out. Or if you were someone who was weak, you'd miss out. If you were someone who basically was fragile or too shy to go and meet people and to go to church, you'll miss out. Like people, you know, when they come to church, oh, I don't like crowds, I don't like people. But then you miss out, you know. And so this was a jam-packed church, a jam-packed house. And unfortunately, there was a man who was sick of the palsy, meaning he was paralyzed. He was paralyzed, meaning he couldn't move. So he's going to miss out. This picture of this man with palsy is actually quite a beautiful picture of the state of people. Because palsy, if you look into it, it's actually a paralysis of the body, and there's different kinds, but it's often accompanied by weakness and a loss of feeling. This is what it is to be paralyzed. It's a weakness and a loss of feeling and uncontrolled body movements such as shaking. So paralysis can take a form of where you're basically just paralyzed and you can't move, or it could actually take the form of you can't control your shaking. You you actually move, but you have no power over it. So you could be like this, wanting so much to do something, but you can't move. Or you could be moving and wanting so much not to move. That's paralysis. And it's a fantastic description of the human nature. Paul tells it beautifully in Romans. Turn with me to this chapter. Romans chapter 7. Here, Brothers and sisters, you will get to see the state of depravity, the state of the human kind. Here you'll get to see how paralysis is actually all of us. 
this man here that's coming in the stretcher, going into the, into the house, is every picture of every man, every woman. This is what Paul says. Chapter 7, verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Verse 16. If then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I can't find it. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that's what I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I know you guys are going, what? What? If you, if you haven't actually read this at home and you've kind of studied it yourself, you go, what? what, what? Well, quite simply, I, I've already drawn for you the picture of what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about a paralysis, spiritual paralysis, if you like. The condition of man is a paralyzed state. The things that you want to do, you don't end up doing. And the things you don't want to do, you are actually doing. He goes, I don't understand it. Just like there's laws in nature, there's gravity, so that if something goes up, it comes down. There are also spiritual laws, which is what Paul is describing. This is like the the, the depravity of humankind, like it's the the condition of man. The things I want to do, I want so much to do this, which is good. I can't, I just can't. Now, I know that some of you in this room, I know there's some of you in this room, you love, you love Jesus. Like, like I, I, I want Jesus, but you just find yourself not doing what he wants you to do. So you go and do whatever you want to do. But in your heart of hearts, you know, Jesus is God and I want to serve him, but you find yourself doing contrary to what Jesus wants. And there are some of you in this room who are actually paralyzed because you can't stop the shaking. Like, you don't want to do this, but you find yourself, you keep doing it. This paralyzed state, this is what the man is. He wants to come to Jesus, but he just can't get there. It's the condition of people. And a lot of people don't understand this this truth that Paul is declaring to the church. Because a lot of people think that Paul is actually talking about how he is. Oh, that's Paul. Oh, that's okay. If Paul's like that, then I'm all right. Like if Paul wants to do good and always finds himself doing bad, well, then I'm, I'm fine then because I, I'm like that. I want to do good and I mess up all the time. But praise God, you know, I'm all right. That's not what Paul's talking about. In fact, can you imagine if the paralyzed man is in the bed, he comes to Jesus and, oh, there's a lot of other people here who are in beds as well. Okay, well, that's fine then. It's all good. See, there's a, there's a problem that happens Anytime someone puts their hand to want to follow Jesus and to give their heart to Christ and do what Christ wants them to do, there's a problem that happens. And that's another spiritual law. There's an opposition. An opposition that always comes to push you out. 
So this man who wants to come to Jesus Christ found an opposition. At the very first thought, Jesus has come into the house. Let's go find Jesus. As soon as he's getting close to that house, his first opposition is that there's people there. They're blocking me. They, they can't get in. I can't, I can't get to Jesus. And some of us are quite settled at stopping there. Like some of us at, at, at our first fall and our first struggle or our first fight, when we've, we've, we've said, I want to follow Jesus, and then all of a sudden the devil comes and slaps you across the face, you fall down, and you say, oh, well, that's enough for me now. I'm done. And you go off, and you, and in the same condition of this man, can you imagine they were grabbing him, they were taking him, they say, oh, there's an obstacle here. There's, 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 uh, we can't get in. Let's go home. We'll try again tomorrow. And when you kind of, when, when you kind of got that kind of faith, don't expect success. Or don't expect victory. Because that kind of faith isn't the faith that cuts it. And you'll see the story here unfold as you look at what Jesus does and what these people do. You'll discover a victory that it can only belong to Jesus Christ through faith. So this is what happens in this account as we keep reading. In verse 3, Mark chapter 2. And they came unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, He'd be paralyzed. This guy, he can't move. And if he does move, he can't stop it from moving. He was carried by four people in verse 4. And when they could not come near unto him for the press, listen, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they broke it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Now, I want you to understand this passage because it's quite significant. Because while Jesus was in the house and he was preaching and teaching and he was talking about the Father... No one was expecting that through the roof, there was this work that was taking place. While everybody's listening, thinking, what has he got to say? What is he on about? What's his? There were people that were actually making their way towards salvation. <laughs> people, well, everybody else, the Pharisees that were there, they were looking and they were listening to Jesus and they were trying to find the fault. Like maybe some people, when they try to listen to a preacher or a teacher and they want to try and work out the theology or the doctrine. But there's something happening in the hearts of people that only a few get to actually receive. So what happened is when Jesus saw this man and he came down and he laid down there and he, and he healed him, before he healed him, he did something quite significant. And everybody's watching and everyone's listening and he says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's quite powerful. And the Pharisees were all upset by that comment because who is he to forgive sins? But what Jesus was actually doing was actually showing people salvation because he was dealing with a lot of unbelief. And this is what Jesus did. In fact, this account took place before Jesus even chose his disciples. This account took place at a very early stage in his ministry. It's quite extraordinary what Jesus just did. At the very dawn of his ministry, he started to do the first thing before he healed him, he forgave sins. So in actual fact, what Jesus was doing, he was paving his whole ministry that everything I'm about and everything I'm about to do, whether I, I cure the blind, whether the, the lame can walk, it's all grounded in this most important, significant truth, and that's the forgiveness of sins. That's the first. You don't hear Jesus doing this after that. It's just a just isolated event. Your sins are forgiven you. And everyone was upset. The Pharisees says, well, who's this guy that forgives sins? Now listen, this is the first obstacle anytime 
uh, there's got to be a dealing of your sin. It's just unbelief. Who, who's God? Who's Jesus? Like, who, who's going to forgive my sins? Or oh, my sins are too strong. My sins are too great. Who can actually forgive me? It's always an obstacle when it comes to dealing with your sin, all the time. But Jesus deals with it in the very, very beginning introduction to his ministry. Straight away, he deals with it. He says, you, you, you're worried about who I am and the forgiveness of sins. You tell me, what is uh, more impossible to do? If I told this man to get up and walk, or if I verbalized your sins are forgiven, which one's harder, do you think? And he's appealing to their logic. He's appealing to their common sense. Well, obviously, if I was to think about it, uh, I would say that a person who's been paralyzed and he kind of just drops off, he leaves his bed and walks, would be a lot more kind of <laughs> radical than if you just said, your sins are forgiven. Because I'll tell you what Jesus was doing, he was doing this, he was doing this. He was, he was basically demonstrating two supernatural things. One supernatural thing belonged to the physical and one supernatural thing belonged to the spiritual. And the things that belong to the spiritual, you can't see. But the things that belong to the physical, you can. And sometimes when we look at the physical, what is impossible to us, what we see is impossible, that happens, it's just extraordinary. It's like, wow, it's happened. But through the eyes, that's something that's spiritual, we don't get to see, but we assume it's happened, or maybe it's happened, and who knows if it's happened. And there you go, ladies and gentlemen, the difference between unbelief and faith. See, I'll tell you how it's like. It's like this. It's like, hey, bro, did you know what happened to me? What happened, bro? Oh, mate, I was like, in, I don't know, stuck in traffic, and I, I needed to get there on time, and I was running late. Like, it was really, really late. And, I, and, I, and if I didn't get to the job, they were going to sack me, and I won't get to the interview. But it was unbelievable. What happened, bro? I got there. That's extraordinary. That's miraculous. It is. It's a miracle. And you get to believe it because you saw it, Right? And then you say, but bro, anyway, tell me, man, who did that for you? God did. That's awesome. Now tell me, bro, are you still stuck in your sin? Ah, uh, yeah. How come? Well, you still, did God do that for you physically? Yeah. Is that impossible to be done? Yeah. So then, bro, what about the forgiveness of your sins? Are you still stuck in your sin? Uh, yeah. How's that even possible then? You see? You understand? So Jesus Christ was basically demonstrating what a paralyzed man, the man who basically can't do what he wants to do and the things he doesn't want to do, he finds himself doing, he's in the place of paralyzed. It's remarkable. I can believe that Jesus can kind of part the sea, but when it comes to my sin, no, I'm always going to sin. Because that's what Paul said, didn't he? Didn't Paul say that? Oh, the things no, Paul doesn't say that. Paul is describing the paralyzed man. He's describing the paralyzed man before he got to the door, before he came to Jesus. But the problem is, is faith. Now, what Jesus says to them is this. He says, I did this. Listen, I did this so that you know, and this is where the concern is, that you know that the Son of Man has what? The power. The power. That's why I did it. I, I parted the sea so that you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. I did those miracles in your life, those, those, those things that you look at and you think, wow, it's extraordinary. Yeah, I did those so that you know I have the power to forgive sin because you can't see that. 
You can't see that supernatural spiritual thing that's taking place in your heart. Like the people couldn't see a breaking through of the roof while Jesus was talking. But you've got to believe. It's easy to believe in something that you see. And it's extraordinary. But something that to say, Jesus forgives sins. Now when we talk about the forgiveness of sins, I'm not just talking about this kind of a, a, a I, I forgive you. It's in the scriptures, when you look at the forgiveness of sins, it's hand in hand. With the forgiveness of sins, there's a cleansing. With the forgiveness of sins, there's an imparting of power. So when Jesus Christ forgave a man, he didn't only forgive him and washed him and says, it's all good. He sets a man free and says, go, sin no more. But how many of you believe that? How many Christians actually believe when they come to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, forgive me for my sins? Not only does he forgive them, but he that he has called, he has justified. And he that he has justified, he has glorified. This is extraordinary news. So there's some of you sitting in the room and you're saying, but I've still got my sin. I've still got my issues. I've still got my problems. I've still got, but then you'll go off and you'll talk about how good God is for doing this and doing that. But what about the power of the forgiveness of sins? What about the power of the overcoming of sins? What about the power of, of denying of the self and the flesh? I want to share with you, what did these people require in order to experience the power of the forgiveness of sins? What did they need? Faith. That's, it. That's all we believe. We believe it's all by faith. But tell me, do they not show you what faith looks like? Do they not show you what faith looks like? What does faith look like? I'll tell you what faith looks like. It looks like this. A man who basically looks impossible to be delivered is held by four men and they're pushing their way to Jesus. And they come to an obstacle and this is the first stumbling, the first block to their faith. What does faith look like? I'll come back tomorrow. Uh, I'll deal with it another time. What does faith look like? Faith says, no, 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 I've got to get to Jesus. I don't care, at whatever cost. How, how, how? And then I looked and I realized, hey, hang on, we can get to Jesus, how? Well, we can climb up. What does faith look like? My, ever would have turned around and says, up, are you kidding me? This, it took us, it was, this guy was heavy enough just to get him to the door. You want us now to climb him up. What does faith look like? Look, it doesn't matter how we get there as long as we get to Jesus. If, 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 if going up to get to Jesus, and that's the, the, the steepness, and I've got to carry this man up and sweat, well, that's what faith looks like. And this is why there's a problem with theology today when we talk about faith and works, faith and works. It's all, it's all gone confusing. But this is what faith looks like. Does it look like a, a, a slug, a pushing through of anything that hinders an obstacle towards Jesus here. Well, that's, that's and if that, if that, is that called work? Like I've got to push through and climb up and get down? Well, then that's called work. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But to me, that's what faith looks like. And so what happens? They, they, they climb him up, they get to the top of the roof, and what's the first thing that needs to happen? There's got to be a breaking point. There's got to be a place where you decide that I've got to break this in order for me to get through. But most of us stop at that point. That's the second point. Like, oh, no, that's going to cost me. I can't get through this wall. I can't get through this obstacle. But I've got to get through. I've got to break this thing. That's a hindrance to coming to Jesus. 
and we stop there. That's it. That's enough for me. It's too much work. No, it's not too much work. If he is the son of God and he is your victory, what can you, what, what's too much? See, faith says at all costs, whatever cost, not my mom, not my dad, not my spouse, not my partner, not my money, nothing is going to stop me. I've got to break that thing, move it away from me because I've got to get to Jesus. I, wanna, I want you to think of something here. When they were climbing up to get to the top of the house, don't forget they were carrying a paralyzed man. How would they have got him up to the top in a, in a, in a bed? How, how, how would they have done it unless they bound him to the bed? Is that right? Unless they tied him and otherwise he'd slip and fall. You, you, you're worse off. It'd be more damage. You wish you never had started. So what does a Christian have to do to get to Jesus? They have to carry this man, this paralyzed man. They have to bind him. And they have to push him at whatever steep, whatever how hard it is, I've got to get this bound, paralyzed man that I am to Jesus. Because if I started the journey and I stop, stop I dangle. You understand? I dangle and I'm going to fall. And, and better for you not to have come than to have come and stopped halfway. Jesus says, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. You bind this old man this paralyzed man that I am. And whatever obstacle, I'm gonna break through because I've gotta get to Jesus. And then finally, when I've opened up the pathway to get to Jesus, I've gotta do one significant thing. I've gotta come and lay down. I've gotta get off my high horse and lay where Jesus is. Very simple. Because the demonstration of this faith is actually asking you one simple thing. You either want to live in a place where you have no power and no control over this paralyzed state that you're in, or you can say, I've had enough of this, and Christ is my hope. Those who believe with all their heart, all their life, that Christ is my hope, listen to me. There is no obstacle. No friendships, no relationships, no, no money, no material gain, nothing. Because they love their victor. They love him. Money, I don't really love money, you know, but, but I can't help myself just working 24 hours, seven days a week. I don't really love my money, but I've just got to meet, meet the, my, my financial obligations. I don't really want to work hard. I don't really want money, but I find myself I have to. It's a paralyzed state. Relationships. I don't really, I know the relationship isn't good for me. Like, you know, but I can't help but love them. I don't want to get angry, but I find myself getting angry. I don't want to lust, but I'm always finding myself lusting. It's a paralyzed state. And those of you who've come to the end of your life and you're over it, you weigh it out and you say, do I continue like this? Carrying a paralyzed body, the old man? Or do I want Jesus? Do I want Jesus? You know, every story, every story that Jesus shows us through miracles is all about this. Did you know? The paralyzed man, the paralyzed man, he wants God, but he finds everything in him does the other thing. 
And he doesn't want to do that, that, that thing, but he finds himself doing it consistently. He's a blind man who can't see Jesus. He's the, the lame man who can't walk to Christ. He's the, the mute man who can't call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. He's the deaf man who can't hear the words of Jesus. And that's why in this account, what we see is a story where men are carrying this man. It's a picture of God's providence, the Holy Spirit who calls you and draws you. And all you've got to do is what? Is believe. Is believe. What happened to the story at the end? Once he forgave the, his sins, which is the most significant thing in his life, everything else changes. What happened to him? He was healed. So deal with this thing here, which is sin. That Paul says, listen to what Paul says in verse 21. I find then a law that evil, in verse 21, chapter 7, verse 21. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but... But I see another law in my members. It's warring against the law of my mind and it's bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And everyone doesn't, doesn't no, one, no one pays attention to this verse here in verse 25, where Paul says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See? Everyone just says, oh, yeah, it's a poor state you're in. But anyway, praise God. You know, God is good. He's kind. He's overlooking it. No, he's not overlooking it. He actually gave his son, Jesus Christ, to overpower that, to overtake that. That's why Paul says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So with my mind, I now serve the law of God. With my mind, I say, I want to do this, and I do it. And with my mind, I say, I don't want to do this, and I don't do it, because Jesus Christ, he's become my power. And whatever my body wants to do, mate, let it do it. But I submit, like a man who's paralyzed, has been bound, I tie it up, and I drag it to Jesus. I thank God. You understand this message? This is the crux of Christian living. This is the summary of the gospel. This is the life of freedom. This is the life of victory. You don't have to continue being on your bed. You can get up, take the very thing that bound you and you bind it. That's the difference. The very thing that held you, you hold it. And you can govern and decide what you want to do with it. This is victory. I don't want to be a person to be governed and controlled by every emotion. One, a person says something to me, oh, I'm upset by it. I've taken a hold of that and I've bound it and I've taken it to Jesus. I have victory. I don't need to be controlled by what people's uh, assumptions or views or, or money holds me and captivates me or uh, material possessions, you know, like that vase, that beautiful vase. If that smashes, my, controls my mood. I don't want to be controlled by that. I thank the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my victory. This is the power of the gospel. This is the message of Jesus Christ. He holds the power. He holds the power. If you're in a classroom 
and your life is dependent on the exam that you're about to take, and there's a teacher there, who holds the power? The teacher. The teacher can dictate whether the information they impart or not part is going to help you. The teacher, Jesus holds the power. But what do you have to do? Well, if he's given you the, he's given, you, you've got to make your way to the teacher. You've got to listen, you've got to study. But he has the power. In marriage, if you, want to, if you love your partner and your spouse and you want to get married and you come to the church, who has the power? You can love, yourself, love each other as much as you want, but who has the power? The church and the government. They have the power. But what do you have to do? You've got to come to the altar. You've got to come to the church. You've got to give yourselves. But God has the power. And if you believe he has the power, then what do you You've got to bind this body that resists him, this mind that says, I don't want him. You bring it into captivity and you put it before the feet of Jesus. Because you have the power. You have the power. And I guarantee you, any man, any woman who does this discovers salvation because they came through faith. And the demonstration of the faith was no obstacle. At whatever cost, I pursue him and him alone. Nothing hinders me. Nothing comes in my uh, journey to find Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Every miracle, every experience that Jesus did is for this one thing the salvation of your soul. The salvation of your soul. It's been wounded, it's been hindered, it's been destroyed by sin. And this soul God gave you, it's from Him. It is your connection to God. And if this soul has been damaged, it needs to be restored. And Jesus Christ came to restore that. There's some of you in this room who are paralyzed. You can't seem to confess your sin. You can't seem to get your life right in Christ. You can't seem to be able to stand. But if you come by faith at whatever cost, you can experience the victory of salvation, the victory of Jesus Christ. Some of you, your biggest obstacle is self. Self. What about me? What about me? What about me? Until you, you stop and look at Jesus as your power, you're, you're forever going to be in that bed bound. You've got to stop looking at how you're going to be satisfied, how you're going to be looked after, and look to Jesus Christ, your salvation. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord God, for every head bowed before you, Lord, that we um, can look into your word and understand the stories, the events, the words that are spoken, how they all relate and pertain to life and to godliness. I pray, Lord God, that only through you and your power are you able to break the bondage of darkness, the bondage of selfishness, self-focused, it's people who are self-focused, who we all are. We're all paralyzed, Lord God. But we thank you, Lord, for the amazing power, the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of the soul. I pray for every person, Lord God, who, 
heard your word this morning, that they may respond according to the Holy Spirit that knocks on every heart. You know them by name, Lord God. You know all of them, Father. You know what to say and how to draw them to you. And I pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit that would strengthen them, Lord, to confess you and you alone as their power and their salvation. Every bondage broken, every sin forgiven, every Christian set free. In Jesus' name, amen.